I'm not a big fan of happiness. <laughs> I think it's 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 overrated because you're bound to be disappointed <laughs> if you want to live a happy life. I hate to say it. I think um, striving for other things uh, will actually make it more likely the happiness will come along for the ride as opposed to just shooting straight for it. I guess I'm not, uh, when I say I'm not a fan of happiness, I suppose I should clarify that. I'm not a fan of happiness as the goal. Certainly I'm a fan of joy and feelings of happiness and, and life satisfaction and fulfillment. But our moments of deep, of deep fulfillment tend to come when we focus on meaning as opposed to happiness. And that's what all the research bears out. Welcome to Collective Insights. Today we have with us a return guest, Dr. Scott Barry Kaufman. We invited him back on the show a couple months ago to discuss his research on self-actualization and how he has reconceptualized Maslow's hierarchy of needs. These topics have become particularly timely and relevant as so many of us are going through the challenges presented by the coronavirus pandemic. This conversation is packed with meaningful things you can do right now to stay sane, feel as whole as possible, and even have transcendent experiences while in quarantine. This episode will be medicine for your soul. Stay tuned. Here's Heather and Scott. Welcome to Collective Insights. I'm your host today, Dr. Heather Sanderson, and I am joined by Scott Barry Kaufman. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Heather. So this is an interesting time. Um, we are in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis, and you talk a lot about in your work the tension between safety and growth. So can you talk about that even just in the context of what we're experiencing today? Sure. It's it's even more relevant today than I, I, I could ever have imagined that uh, it, it, this, this dialectical between the two. So Abraham Mazo, who was a humanistic psychologist in the in the fifties and sixties, proposed his famous hierarchy of needs. Uh, many people are familiar with it in terms of the the triangle, you know, the the, the pyramid. Uh, it turns out he never drew a pyramid at all, and he uh, he didn't even really emphasize that we have to meet each of our needs in this kind of lockstep fashion, as though life were some video game that we have to reach one level before we can get to the next level or then we get to that level like connection some voice from above is like congrats you've unlocked esteem you know and then we never return back to the connection again he was very clear that that life is always a two-step forward one step back dynamic we're always moving along we think we're growing and then something catastrophic happens that we never would have predicted and we we fall down but it doesn't mean that we have lost our growth altogether by any stretch of the imagination he really focused on this 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 connection between security and growth he sometimes talked about it as defense versus growth because the opposite of security is insecurity and when we face when we're pitched into the state of insecurity we tend to erect that's when we we erect most of our defenses uh, and the defenses are to protect ourselves and to protect the ones we love. But when you're in protection mode, you're not in growth mode. It's a different mode than growth. And I think the important thing in this time is to find out how we can still 
leave room for self-actualization and even dare I say transcendence. I know it's, we seem so far away from that right now. You know, how can we possibly have peak experiences, you know, in a moment when everyone around us is screaming? And Well, it is possible. It absolutely is possible. And also, just because everyone else around you is, is, is pitched into this, this state of panic um, doesn't mean that you can't stay calm and uh, rational and, uh, and, 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 and still try to, in the best way you can, uplift all the other boats around you. So, as metaphorically speaking, what are you doing to stay grounded and look for those peak experiences through this? It's not always easy, uh, and and I really do like viewing it as human development as this two step forward, one step dynamic dynamic. Because I have good days and bad days, and I think everyone can resonate with that. I have some days where. Well, let me put it this way. I'll have a whole string of days where I feel like I'm being really productive and i just not worried about this thing anymore. And then I'll hear about someone I know who got, got it. And it might be in 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 uh, fighting for their life. And then you, you're, 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 you're forced into that state of, of concern and worry. Um, I, I'm just trying the best I personally can to put out positivity and, um, and beauty into the world. I, I do it mostly these days through Twitter <laughs> because that's where yeah, we're all on Twitter now. Like, you know, well, there's not that many sources of connection that we can get, you know, so we gotta, we gotta take it wherever we can get now and um, just try to play my own part. That's a good reminder just to have self-compassion, no matter what the circumstances, right? Doing your best um, and, and giving yourself a little bit of grace to not get it right every single time. I love that you brought up self-compassion. Yeah, I think that that's that's quite right. And and just accept it's it, it, one way of framing it is self-compassion, but it's also just full acceptance, radical acceptance, as Tara Brach would say. You know, of of the moment, of of where you're at. You know, where am I today? Some days, you know, not the greatest place, but you know, we're it, part of part of being in this game is you got to play the game. You, got, you know, part of human existence is is realizing that there's a lot of paradoxes and 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 that come along with just the fact that you're alive. Yeah, being in the arena, right? Yeah. So tell me about transcendent experiences. What? How do you describe that? Or can you share with us one of yours? Uh, transcendent experiences uh, range. In, uh, it's all in a continuum, and you can have. And what is the continuum? The continuum, as I see it, and as my colleagues see it, is a range of connection with self and world. So we can call it a unitary con- continuum. How how unitary are we with with the world? And at the most extreme, you have you have the mystical experience, you know, that has through through the ages, you know. Jesus had a mystical experience and we don't all have to have a mystical experience to have a transcendent experience in life. And that was a point I wanted to make in the book is that we can all rally around some kinds of, uh, transcendent experiences and, and oh, and it's a whole range. So on the other end, opposite end, we have, you know, this, the, the flow experience that is often described where just, you know, just reading a nice book, you know, just read a nice book, blah, 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 and I'm 
so deeply absorbed in the book that I forget all my concerns. Well, when when that happens, I made I am I have made a, a connection with the world in a way where there's a merging of self and world. But we can build that up to inspiration when we feel a great moment of inspiration or even moral moral elevation where we feel morally elevated and inspired to do good and we see a role model that inspires us or even just having the all experience i see as a trend is a, i see that as a transcendent experience being in wonder and all and even a bit um having a bit reverence for something greater than ourselves all these peak experiences um or transcendent experiences might as well call them peak experiences all of them are the these wondrous moments in our lives that make life life worth living and we should never try seeking them out or helping others to engage in them even in the most difficult of times so tell me about happiness and sort of your concepts around happiness whether that's a good thing to aspire to or maybe not so much i'm not a big fan of happiness <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 overrated because you're bound to be disappointed <laughs> if you want to live a happy life i hate to say it i think um striving for other things uh will actually make it more likely the happiness will come along for the ride as opposed to just shooting straight for it i guess i'm not uh when i say i'm not a fan of happiness i suppose i should clarify that i'm not a fan of happiness as the goal Certainly, I'm a fan of joy and feelings of happiness and, and sat- life satisfaction and fulfillment. But our moments of deep, of deep fulfillment tend to come when we focus on meaning as opposed to happiness. And that's what all the research bears out. So what does that look like? Can you give a concrete example? Uh, what does it mean to search for meaning is that right well i guess in my mind what's coming up i just want to clarify this concept so maybe um if someone feels happy after they buy an expensive i don't know dress let's say or shoes um and that is very transient right like maybe there's that hit of dopamine and then it goes away very quickly but someone might feel like okay that made me happy to buy this this shoe these shoes um probably one would make you unhappy and uncomfortable. Um, and then on the other side, if we're looking for more meaning and purpose and meaning, it might be that you help like in, in this time, this day and age, maybe you get meaning from helping someone who's in need or who doesn't have enough toilet paper or who can't <laughs> get out to the grocery store. Right. Is, am yeah. I, am I picking up what you're putting down? Yeah. You can view fulfillment on it uh, as its own hierarchy. And you, from shallow fulfillment to deep fulfillment on the other end of the spectrum. And it tends to be, you can tell I like continuums. Can you tell? I do. <laughs> did, you, did you pick Shades up on that? Shades of gray. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm not big into types, you know. Like, like, like people seem to like the types, type, type psychology, you know, like, what's my Myers-Briggs? What's my, you know, and, and all that stuff is not panning out scientifically to be accurate, including all the DSM as well. Oh, but anyway, that would be a whole tangent. Uh, but fulfillment, let's stick on the fulfillment continuum. Um, shallow fulfillment tends to come from short-lived pleasures. There, uh, We adapt very fast to these kind of dopamine hits as you put it, uh, that 
uh, particularly the dopamine projections that have to do with uh, with what are called appetitive rewards, deep-seated, deep evolutionarily evolved or intrinsic rewards that we have for fatty foods, for sugar, for uh, sex, uh, for uh, lots of things that have been manufactured by humans to to really ramp that stuff up, like cocaine, uh, gambling. I mean, these are human and in, human inventions that play off of evolutionary old systems, but those things tend to be very short-lived because that was part of the design. They were designed to repeatedly get us wanting it again. <laughs> you know, they didn't design us to be satiated ever with it. You know, I mean, how many of us have had sex once in our lives? And we're like, you know what? I'm good. <laughs> I'm done. For the rest of my life, I get it. It was nice. I'm fulfilled. You know, people are just crazy about sex. <laughs> Have you noticed? I mean, it's like, what the heck? Everyone calm down. <laughs> you know, or, or and you can take any example. We don't just have to use sex example. If that example um, it doesn't sit with people, you can take chocolate. <laughs> How many of us have had chocolate once in our lives? We're like, oh, this is delicious. Ah, oh, I'm good. You know? Um, but there are things, believe it or not, that we can do in our lives that lead to a deeper sense of fulfillment. And those are the things that usually come after a long period of time of overcoming some sort of challenge. You know, uh, f- like deep fulfillment of a marriage after 50 years comes after 50 years. I hate to say it, but some of these things take time, it takes patience, it takes going through and reconciling the paradoxes of human existence, reconciling conflict and getting to the other side. It's that getting to the other side that tends to bring this deep part of, uh, on that end of the continuum, the deep fulfillment end. Is this making any sense? Yeah. So part of it, what I understand is kind of getting through a, a struggle. So getting up and over a hump, which there's ripe opportunity for that at this moment. There's ripe opportunity for sure. I think that people are not even having a hump and they're, they're, they're panicking. Like, you know, because you could be, I could be going fine in my day. There's nothing. It's not like there's zombies outside of my window yet. You know, we haven't had the full zombie apocalypse yet. And I'll be like, you know what? I feel at peace. And then I'll turn on CNN and they're yelling at me like, run! It's, uh, oh, emergency, emergency, breaking alert, breaking alert. And you're like, my gosh, what happened to all the inner peace that I had today? You know, it all went out the window So because someone's, you know, telling me, how dare you have inner peace? You know, like you need to, breaking alert, you need to be as worried as we are. Now, it's one thing to be concerned about your loved ones and be concerned about the state of the world. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we need to turn into hedonistic, individualistic people and take care for ourselves. That's really, truly not what I'm saying. But I think we need to cherish the moments we have that are peaceful and don't let anyone take that away from us. You know, um, what's his name? Uh, Victor Frankl you know, has this great quote. He was in the concentration camps and he saw that even in the concentration camp, there was joy to be found. There was meaning. People uh, were making plans for what they were going to do when they got out of the concentration camp. 
there was still they were still able to, to find meaning in it. And Victor Frankl has this great quote, something along the lines of, "You know, the last of the human freedoms that that one can take away from you is your ability to to choose your your mind in the moment to to choose your own way." And I think we should never forget that. Yeah, those concepts have been coming up a lot for me as well. If someone can find joy and a, a little bit of freedom in a concentration camp, then certainly through this period where we're stuck on our couches, comfortable in our own homes, I think we can find opportunities to for joy and connection with our families, whoever we're maybe isolating with. Um, so tell me about self-actualization. I think that that's kind of, again, these continuums, um, but in, and you've talked about transcendence, personal growth, uh, where does self-actualization fall on this continuum? Well, which continuum are we talking about? Oh, let's. <laughs> There's let's, so many. Uh, yeah, I, I want you to, I want to give you a, a whiteboard so that you can draw them all out for us, but you'll have to do I've it. Got- there are so many continuums. There you all the personality continuums. You have, you know, um, all the different uh, needs, basic needs, and their continuums. Well, what is self? Are you just asking me what is self actualization, basically? Sure. Well, why don't we start there? Because it's not ever a state that you achieve. It's an ongoing process, and and in a lot of ways, it's really just a north star goal. It's just something we shoot. We're shooting for. You know, it's something that we're we're, uh, we're we're striving for, and you could see it at the most basic level of definition, becoming all that you're capable of becoming. But you don't want to become all you're capable of becoming. You know, there's there are sides of you that that we, we you know we're full of so many potentialities. There 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 are potentialities that that you if you're on autopilot. You you know you you don't want to fully actualize, but there are sides of ourselves that we can put more of our attention and focus in, and if we actualize them, they will lead to to a greater world. So I think focusing on on the potentialities within you that that reach the highest version of yourself, or the as some colloquially the best version of yourself, you know, is is what we can just conceptualize self actualization as. And do we get closer to that if we are sent, spending more time having these transcendent experiences? Or where does it fit into kind of the greater, how do the models interact, right? How do these continuums create a whole? How do we put them back together? Well, I do think it's very important to recognize that humans are greater than the sum of their parts. And we do have a hodgepodge of evolutionarily derived, uh, evolutionary evolved modules mixed in with personal experiences within our own lifetime, mixed in with our own unique temperament and cognitive ability and relationships. You take all these things together to make a human. You don't, you know, you get you get something that's greater than the, than than each of those individually. And I think all of us strive to be to feel as whole as possible. We, Abraham, as I said, it's often like we're walking around with a civil war being fought within us. And I think that the process of, of wholeness is a, it's a lifelong journey, but it's a journey where we reach higher levels of integration within ourselves. So we just don't feel like all these parts are fighting with each other. 
You know, you see, even within the romantic domain, we evolved multiple modules that can all that often conflict with each other. You know, you have the caretaking module, you have the, uh, you know, the drive to to lower a care uh, the suffering of someone you care about, but then you have the passion, the romantic passion module. Um, you know, where you feel that great sense of uh, West Side Story esque. I'll do anything for you, you know, like, and then, but then you have the lust module and, and, and so many of us can have lust for someone that we hate their guts. Do you know what, do you know what I mean? Like you literally can have no caretaking drive for someone that you're lust with. And then it, all these things could come apart. The great, the greatest, uh, the highest form of love I talk about in my book, I call it whole love is one where all these things are integrated you know and 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 when and, and and by the way this is not me saying that that i don't believe in uh polyamory for instance don't you know don't get it twisted if someone's listening to this from the polyamory movement they're like are you saying there's only one person that you can have everything with that's not what i'm saying i'm you absolutely need to um find the arrangement or the life that works best for you um but i think that you can um even if not with just one person you can reach a set. It's best to, to uh, minimize the amount that all these different modules are spread across your lives. You know, if you can integrate it as much as possible within yourself, and um, and and minimally with uh, the people in your lives, um, I really do think that will lead to the greatest level of fulfillment. I think even the most polyamory, the polyamory would admit that if you have a hundred partners, that's not as fulfilling as maybe four. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Right. Well, it goes back to sort of that deep connection. Like you were describing a 50 year marriage takes 50 years. And so there's just so many hours in the day, right? If you have many superficial relationships versus deeper relationships, um, the fulfillment that comes from those is, is going to shift. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I have nothing to, to elaborate on that one because that was that was great. Oh. Um, so Maslow is clearly has influenced you significantly, but you have sort of a reconceptualization of some of the things that he, um, he that he described in the fifties and sixties, and then also you've already alluded to the fact that some of how like I definitely think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs as this pyramid, and you're saying that he never even drew this pyramid. So would you never. just go back to some of Maslow's gifts that he gave the world, what you think they really are, and then how you've built on them? Yeah, sure. He did have this, he did focus on the dynamic between security and growth. That really was his focus. It really wasn't on um, on the lockstep needs, you know, like you need this and then you can't get that until you get this. And he made it very clear that, that, that we can work on multiple needs simultaneously and that all of us, none of us are 100% in any of the needs at any one moment in time. For instance, I could go down the list with you and be like, what percentage connection are you right now? And you could probably estimate something. It probably wouldn't be – do you think you're at 100%? You know, in connection, um, or um, well, maybe you are, <laughs> but you know, no, so, we're, very, we're all so, very you know. isolated right now. So, no, I feel I, I actually feel very disconnected, um, and I think that that's you know, when we talk about the cost of the cure, 
of this pandemic that certainly is a huge cost is the amount of disconnection so many people may experience. Now others, for others, I it worry, may be totally fine. I worry about it so much. I worry about it because we already had a loneliness epidemic and this is certainly going to contribute to it. I'm, I'm, I'm engaging in a virtual dance party tonight, which I'm looking forward to. So we need, we need more of that. But, um, yeah, I mean, you could, I could go down the list, you know, where are you on your esteem, esteem from others? How's that being, you know, do you feel respected? Um, where are you on? well, safety, a lot of us are, are, are not too high on that these days. Um, at least in terms of the uncertainty. So, so yes, you know, all the, you know, he made it very clear, all the needs. Um, it's not this like lockstep level of, you know, we were all somewhere at any moment in time, but he but also was, yeah. Sorry. I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, across the, across the spectrum of, um, of let's just say financial inequality or social inequality, there are, are certainly if you don't know if you can afford to go to the hospital or if you can afford to get medical treatment like there is a need there or if you don't know where your next meal is coming from certainly you will be distracted by that right like that is your primary focus so this hierarchy it does exist to some degree like yes we're all working at multiple layers but if you're hungry or if you're sick like you're just focused on survival that's exactly right. So that's why I wanted to emphasize that that dynamic between the two in a way that hadn't been emphasized by the standard pyramid. So I have a new metaphor with, uh, in the book, which I think really tackles exactly what you just said at a better level, and that's the sailboat metaphor. So we really can't – we really do need to secure that boat before we have any movement at all. And – and we're certainly not going to feel safe and vulnerable to open the sail fully and 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 sail in on the sea if 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 there's a leak in the boat or we feel like like it's not secure. So I talk about safety needs of and the safety needs I I, I focus on are the need for safety. Uh, well, uh, sorry, I call them security needs. The need for safety, the need for connection, and the need for self-esteem. All these things, when they're severely deprived, they really throw us out of whack, and they they really limit our possibilities to to grow to our full height. The point here is that all this stuff is integrated, so we can't grow to our full height if if we're our focus, like you said, is our, our, our attention is really narrowed to the deprivations. And this is this is what Mazo very much focused on. I was just saying that we shouldn't have to talk about about there's like a set uh, level of uh, a set order of needs in which you have to go through. That's what I was challenging, you know. But I but I absolutely think that there was great wisdom in what he was focusing on about the deprivation of these needs as being really problematic when things are so severely deprived. Like he said, we we snap into a certain worldview. Each of these needs are associated with a worldview. And when they're deprived, that's what we see in the world. So when we're deprived of, of, of food, you know, everything looks like food to us. <laughs> you know, like that's all the world. We're snapped into, into that, into that realm of cognition. Um, when we are s- severely deprived of connection, every human we see is a potential connection, and and we're, we're needy, you know, because we're deprived of that need. That's we're literally needy um, for that. But unfortunately, that's not. 
where the, the realm of growth lives. The realm of self-actualization lives in the being realm of existence. So Maslow dis- distinguished between the deficiency realm versus the being realm or growth realm. When you're in the in deficiency realm, you're trying to impart onto the world something. You're saying you're basically walking around being like, feed me, you know, love me, um, respect me. But when you're in the growth realm, you're not make, trying to make those demands. Uh, people, you admire people and things for what they are. And you see reality as clearly as possible. Uh, and you don't try to impart those demands. You, you don't try to treat people just as the usefulness they have for you. You admire them in their own journey of self-actualization. So it, it's hard to get there. But I do think that we still need to, even under times of great deprivation, focus on be love which is maslow called be love for the being of others and um and that's a higher form of love than connection so how might this play out right now yeah this these are these are just timeless transcendent truths that you know like being on the sailboat right now it seems like we're desperately trying to secure that boat i mean even just buying toilet paper <laughs> you know i i'm out of toilet paper my my parents in philadelphia god bless them went to bj's which is uh, one of these wholesale clubs and they bought toilet paper and they're like we're gonna ship you toilet paper because i'm literally out of toilet paper and i can't find it anywhere <laughs> i know it's like i do i admit that on, on air you know but um i think there's probably a lot of people listening who can uh, relate you know i mean i'm I'm uh, I'm I'm espousing self-actualization and transcendence, but I'm personally freaking out half of my day. You know, like in terms of like all my my book tour was canceled. My you know all these things, all my talks that I that I had to, that I thought I had this year that were going to sustain me economically. Boom! Overnight, they're all gone, and I don't have any income. <laughs> so I think. A big part of what I wanted to do in this book, and I and I really hope I, I succeeded to any degree in doing that, is showing how any one of us at any moment of time can be snapped into a state of deprivation. And so we need to have – and that just knowing that fact, we need to cultivate more of a common humanity. And I think this is a real moment for us to cultivate that because we can have a greater level of empathy – for people who are suffering, perhaps more than we ever had in the past. I would love to see if there's any upside to this at all, you know, that uh, that we all obviously get through this um, on the other side healthy and um, and our loved ones are healthy and, and even our not loved ones are healthy, you know, because we're all in this together. And and this was this was the main point of my whole book was that we're all in the same boat and and these are human basic needs that have to be met that if we just shoot for i don't i don't like people who just shoot to, to self transcendence you know without integrating their other needs um, without recognizing these other needs are important um i talk about healthy transcendence in this book which i distinguish from well, unhealthy transcendence i guess you could put it i hadn't thought about the term for the opposite but yeah unhealthy transcendence and 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 healthy transcendence is not being above others in this kind of guru sort of way you know where i am i'm enlightened and i'm standing down at at looking down at people i i define healthy transcendence um as an emergent property of 
an integration of your whole self in the service of the good society. And that's just a big mouthful for saying you're part, you're, you're part of, of humanity and you feel part of humanity in, in this oneness sort of way rather than standing on top of it. You're not above humanity. That's really beautiful. Thank you for sharing um, your personal situation right now. I certainly can also relate to that. My my clinical practice depends on one-to-one con- contact with people, right? Doing physical exams and bringing people in. Um, and so I, I don't think there's a single one of us that isn't affected financially, which is that security, right? And your book sounds extremely timely for this, right? It's like, how can we find the good? How can we still get to that self-actualization or be going in that direction despite these very scary times um so i it sounds like a phenomenal quarantine reading yes well thank you so much and i also want to say you know these these terrible times there are people in africa who their whole life from day one of their life and they're going to die you know and I just just put this in perspective in, in one sense, because I'm not in it all, but yes, you're alone in, in, in your room, but if you're healthy, you still have an opportunity to help others. You still have an opportunity to put beauty into the world. Put this in perspective, or at least in the sense of be as mindful as you can every day, because it is true that there, it does feel like there's an impending doom, but until that moment happens, put your all into your existence. Yeah, it's such a great reminder. You know, there are people all around the world who live in a great deal of suffering, and we are very health help very lucky and to be as healthy as we are and to have the prosperity that we have, um, and. There, this is an opportunity for some compassion and empathy to really understand what it's like to live in a place where you maybe are fearful for your life, for the life of your loved ones. Um, and that can help with creating greater unity. That's exactly right. That's, that's exactly the, the point. Yeah. So do you have any tips for um, staying sane while we're staying home? <laughs> I mean, reframing, the issue is reframing. What a great opportunity. Let me put it this way. I have friends who, I have a friend who was a monk for for a year, a year and a half. I mean, he was on the top of a mountain in Nepal, waking up at five in the morning and meditating for 10 hours. And he, for almost a full year, and when he came back, he felt like his entire life changed. He felt like he was able to see things so much more clearly. Look, if people can do that, you know, you can stay in a room with TV and, you know, and, and, and try to be as present and try to use this as an opportunity to better yourself, to better others, to help others as much as you can. Um, I really think that... The, you know, practicing like this is the time. If you ever wondered, like, should I take up a mindfulness practice? Like, this is the this is your opportunity to become a monk. 
Yeah, precisely. Is there a meditation practice or anything that you recommend or mindfulness practice that you recommend or you practice yourself? I really have been enjoying Sam Harris's meditation course on the app, and I don't get any proceeds for saying that. <laughs> but I also, re- I'll, t- I'll tell you, there are two I really like. I like Sam Harris's. I also really like the Calm app. Tamara Levitt, she brightens my day with her voice. Oh, <laughs> um, and and then Sam Harris has you know the voice of rationality. So I, I tend to like that sort of yin yang. You know, I'll listen to Tamara Levitt, you are love. And then I'll listen to Sam Harris, we must pay attention to our cognitive thoughts, you know. And then I'm like, okay, you know, I get both sides of myself balanced. You know what I mean? That's great. That's great. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us more about the research and work that you're doing. Well, as of today, um, uh, March 20th, I'm unemployed. And, uh, but, but look, you know, I, I hold that with a bit of hilarity, right? Because you gotta, you gotta, you gotta just realize how absurd life is. Prior to this moment, I was a professor at Columbia. I had, uh, uh, I had, I have, I have a book coming out April 7th. I'm a writer. I'm an author. I'm a podcaster. Still going to keep that up. Uh, the psychology podcast. Um, love talking to really interesting, unique people and hearing about their own journey of self-actualization and their own thoughts on how we can all um, self-actualize and, and live a life of well-being. Um, I'm very active on Twitter now, <laughs> these days more than ever. Uh, I really am going to just be an apostle uh, of, of Maslow right now and humanistic psychology, all the humanistic psychologists, not just Maslow. I'm in love uh, I fell in love with an idea, um, the whole field of humanistic psychology and, and their focus on, on timeless themes such as freedom and responsibility and creativity and spirituality and humanitarianism. I think all these things, it, they got it quite right. Uh, and uh, it, it, they didn't use words such as happiness or achievement or peak performance, you know, all these, these words that people love to use today. Those are not, that was not their lexicon. I think their lexicon is, um, is and they speak the language of being itself. And, well, this is an opportunity to, to develop our being, that's for sure. Certainly, certainly. So um, your book, the name of your book again? It's called Transcend, The New Science of Self-Actualization. And we can find that on bookshelves or on Amazon on April 7th? That's uh, you. Well, if we can go to bookstores on April 7th, They'll be in the bookstores, but if not, you can find it on Amazon or uh, support your indie bookstores. Um, and also, you can pre-order it right now on Amazon oh, if you want. fantastic. Yeah. That's great. So you had been teaching a class at Columbia University. What was the, yeah. what was the class? Great, great source of meaning for me. I'm going to get tearful right now if I think about the fact that I'm blocked from coming back to New York right now. But uh, it was a really... Uh, really wonderful moment for me to spend two semesters at uh, Barnard College, which is, uh, uh, it's the all-female college at Columbia, but we allowed, we allowed the guys in from Columbia's campus to take this class as well, so it was mixed um, gender, but um, I taught a course, The Science of Living Well, 
and we had and I, what I did in this book is I to kind of give give the knowledge away to everyone. I, I put in the exercises. I call them growth challenges that I had for the students, and it, the students seemed to really resonate uh, deeply with these growth challenges. And they're not your standard be happy kind of things. They're they're kind of like get outside your comfort zone, uh, explore your dark side. The students love to explore the dark side exercise challenge growth uh, growth challenge where you know accept your whole self. Um, you know work on your assertiveness skills. You know uh, all these things are just important for being itself. You know and and that's what it is 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 how can you maximize this existence that you know that you, that you're you're bringing into this world and you, you you as you walk around it's a it's an it's a miraculous thing when you think you occupy this space <laughs> for this spirit brief period of time what are you going to do with that space you know and i really try to uplift my students to um to to realize the best version of that existence and uh i put those exercises in the book though at least 80 percent of those exercises so uh, anyone can take my course so to speak by by reading this book but but I just want to say I really hope I, I can come back to uh, to New York and, and continue teaching. It's fantastic. It sounds like you certainly are good at it. So take oh, us thank through, you. Yeah. Can you take us through a couple more of those exercises that you did with them? Oh, boy. Well, we have, you know, like I said, the explore your dark side exercise. But do you want me to give you give the listeners of this podcast? Uh, I'll read an entire exercise right now. I would love that. And, Something experiential that we can do together. And I call it, I call them growth challenges. <laughs> I think it's kind of cute, right? Okay. How about we do... Oh, face your fears. Uh, they're all good. I like them all. Face your fears, um, grow together, cultivate a secure relationship. Foster, how about foster a high-quality connection? Sure, sure, sure. I, well, face your fears it sounds very relevant to me right now. Can I choose yes. that one? Well, the problem with that is that there's a whole psychological fear scale where you have to assess which of these five the sources of fear you have you want to focus on the most i'll defer to your expertise <laughs> yeah yeah um but let's let's do the challenge because i'll just say at this point just think in your mind of what your greatest fear is because you know i'm sure you can conjure up something in your head right now right certainly <laughs> so th think about some of your own fears for some, these might come immediately to mind, or you may read through the, the, the scale that I presented. Um, determine which fear you would most like to work on based on your current life experiences and taking into account uh, the scale. Again, you can ignore that part. In a written reflection, explore the following. Because I, I recommend that people who go through this get a, buy a journal. You know, This is a great time, by the way journal you know mm -hmm. like keep your journal by the way this this is a historic moment as well so like like future generations your grandchildren might actually want to read you know the journal of your experience through this this crazy time so in a written reflection explore the following what am i afraid of why is this so scary to me what is the worst possible outcome of this happening to me what could be a potentially favorable outcome of this fear unfolding and what ways might i grow as a person what might i learn what parts of myself can I rely on? For example, specific qualities, strengths that could help me overcome my greatest fear. Throughout your daily life, try to notice when your fears are getting in your way. Commit yourself to facing this fear and being even-handed 
with what positive things might ensue as you feel yourself panicking or avoiding these aversive stimuli. <laughs> it does seem more relevant now. Yes, now that I read this out loud, I'm like, well, maybe my book is relevant. Your book is extremely relevant right now. Um, I think going through those hypothetical um, scenarios of what, what's the worst case that could happen and then seeing, okay, when you really face it, what is the true fear? So like for me, something happening to my parents is just absolutely terrifying. And I think for a lot of people our age, perhaps that that's scary because we've heard over and over again that this virus affects people over 60 more than those of us that are under 60. And so that fear of losing your parents and what are those things, um, what are like, how could I grow from that? Like how horrifying, but there's probably a way I could grow from that, right? Like I would have to provide for myself in ways that I haven't, right? Like if you, if your parents aren't around, you have to kind of grow into that. Um, yes. I, I love the way you think, by the way, you, um, I think we're on a, we're on a similar, uh, uh, vibration <laughs> is what they say. Um, but no, I, I agree. And I think this is, this is also a good time to practice the fine art of managing uncertainty. The more that you can practice this art, maybe for some people, this is the first time in their life they've ever had to practice it. They, they, you know, they, they're not, you, you know, there are people who enter the situation at different stages of life experiences. There may be some that have gone through so much suffering in their life that this is like, <laughs> everyone's freaking out over this. You know what I've overcome? You, you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, yeah. So for all of us, it's an opportunity to to see and experience what would it be like for our life to be turned upside down in a day. Now, for some, they go their whole lives without that happening, and then their parents do pass. And then for the first time in their life, they're like having to experience what that's like. But But we can start to learn this skill right now of acceptance and and appreciation as well for what we do have in our lives right now and 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 building up that resiliency skill i I do i do believe at the end of the day that we're capable of deep reservoirs of resiliency that we never even knew we had within us and i i think there's an ultimate uplifting message about all the research i've conducted and that I've read in the positive psychology literature about the amazing, amazing resiliency of the human spirit. I think that we often don't even realize it until we're, we're faced with the situation itself. Yeah, um, and that, that kind of ties back nicely into Viktor Frankl's concepts and, and his quotes, his, his work. Um, the... The idea, I guess, here, yeah, of building resilience, kind of like self-actualization, there's not a, a final destination, but it's just like this muscle that you continue to work. Yeah, and it, it's not altogether different from why we go to the gym and get a trainer, you know, a personal trainer to go through it. Uh, and analogously, I would really recommend everyone get a therapist right now. Um, there's a a website uh, called BetterHelp, where you can find a therapist online, you know, and they have a lot to choose from. But you could also find others. Therapists are are, are doing their um, telecommunications right. Their their telecommunication game is is flourishing right now. So 
I, I would recommend that or even just a coach. You know, there are positive psychology coaches, but I would start with a therapist, a trained therapist. That's such fantastic advice. In, in normal times, my bias is that everyone should have a therapist. Yeah, it's, it's so important. And you need someone at least once a week that you can look forward to freaking out with. <laughs> if not, if not just a friend. But uh, yeah, avoidance, avoidance is the is, is paradoxically, when we most want to avoid something, that's when we should go toward it. Um, you know, within reason, of course, if there's a why, and, you know, chasing you, I'm not saying you shouldn't run the hell away, but uh, but in terms of our our fears, our psychological fears, and um, and in social isolation as well, you know, you may feel like all you want to do is curl up in a bar, a ball, and if people are calling you and want to hang out, go against your your immediate instinct to avoid and 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 um, and, and thank your later self. <laughs> You know, you'll thank your your later self later um, for for making the right growth choice in that moment. Yeah, there's this invitation to lean in. What it what does this have to teach me? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Is there anything else you want to share with our listeners today, Scott? No, you got a lot of you got a lot out of me. <laughs> I feel like we did. We downloaded a lot of the magic in your brain. You did, you did. Brought to you by Qualia. No, joking. <laughs> <laughs> Brought to you by Qualia Mind. No, but um, uh, I just uh, that is my my cheeky way of saying I I love the work you're all doing there. Not just um with the products you put out, but this podcast is so special and thoughtful. Um, and I remember last time I was on it, I was uh, interview, interviewed by Daniel. Um, and that was special too. It's just always a real treat for me. Oh, thanks Scott, for joining us again. Yeah. It's really a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much. And I wish you and all our listeners well. Same to you. Same to you. Thank you for being with us for this conversation with Dr. Scott Barry Kaufman. If you didn't know already, one of the other things we do in the collective is create supplements for better cognition, better aging, and more energy. If you're looking for any or all of that, go to neurohacker.com to learn more. And as our gift to you, we're offering an additional 15% off your first order using the code PODCAST64. If you have any questions about this content, please leave them on our site at neurohacker.com podcast, and we'll work to get those answered on a future episode. Make sure to leave us a five-star review and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you next time.